If you can find, you know, that confidence in yourself and believe in yourself, um, bet on yourself, I think you'll be, you know, uh, a better manager, a better marketer, uh, a better mentor or creator, and probably a, a happier individual. Did you work with Tessa at all at Nike? I didn't, but, you know, um, she is definitely the pioneer, I think, from what I've heard within the women's business um, at Nike, or one of the pioneers, especially with women's business and Nike ID. Um, during Nike ID is just, you know, the, the opportunities to give consumers to do or, you know, be able to do a lot of things on a shoe to make it personable and um, personalization. Um, but I'm excited because she's um, one of the many C-suite executives that, you know, worked at Nike and now doing amazing other things. And I think it's going to be um, really humbling to hear her story because she has a unique background. I mean, a very unique background and can't wait to kind of hear like from like film school. I mean, that's crazy. Like, was she, I want to know like where that came from and to marketing. So I'm excited. Hi, Tessa. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. (laughs) How's it going? Good, good. How are you? I know a few minutes early. I just wanted to check in and make sure it was working on my browser. (laughs) Yeah, everything sounds good on uh, this side. Well, thanks so much for, you know, giving us some time to be able to have you on our podcast one and be able to kind of speak about your journey and, and the great things that you're doing today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I was looking forward to this. Yeah, I mean, we're, we were ecstatic. We were actually just before you came on, we were talking about, you know, um, just your background, like how unique it was. And, and, you know, as we start talking about who you are and what you're doing, what you've done, um, you know, we'll kind of, we usually ask our guests, you know, kind of give us like the, the holistic approach of like the, the topics that you studied in school and if it was something that you thought you were going to do or utilize to you towards your first position and opportunity to the journey you had at Nike um, to the journey you're in now, obviously um, being the CMO of Discord, but um, would love to kind of, um, you know, have you take us kind of walk through memory lane, you could say, <laughs> and, and, and let us know like, you know, the university you went to and, and, um, you know, the topics you wanted to study and what you wanted to do or what you thought you were going to do. Um, because I saw the film international business, um, yeah. profile and I just, I was like, filming, Whoa, where'd that come from? Like looking at your background. <laughs> so I'd love, love to have you take us through that if possible. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, John. Thanks so much. You know, uh, I know Jesse and I worked together a little bit closer when we were at Nike, but yeah, from my background standpoint, um, you know, I've always been someone who uh, is super curious, um, did a lot of creative things growing up. And I ended up going to school um, at a school called Babson College. It's just outside of Boston. And um it's interesting because what I majored in is called entrepreneurial studies uh, and marketing. And for me, what it means basically is, you know, I like to build things and I was always curious about, 
you know, how things were done and how businesses were built. Um, but there was a part of me that was still, you know, really leaning towards my creative side. So I started taking uh, courses at Wellesley College in film and in French. Um, and I had studied French all through school. And so I decided to take a year to move to France and study international business as part of my degree at Babson, but also to do more with um, studying film. Uh, some of the greatest, you know, directors um, that I always, you know, would watch when I was younger, you know, would, were French. And um, being in such a beautiful area, it was a, a good way to study something creative and work on language. Um, but also I, you know, continue to do some of my business uh, classes. And then it all kind of clicked and came together where I could do entrepreneurial studies and use creative storytelling through marketing um, as a way to bring what I wanted to do for a career to life. Um, that also, you know, continued as I, I left um, college. Uh, I continued studying uh, in Detroit at the Creative, uh, uh, sorry, it's the Center for Creative Studies, uh, now called the College for Creative Studies. And I studied photography there um, downtown while I was working in an advertising agency. So, you know, the, the parallel path of, um, you know, entrepreneurial uh, drive, innovation to build new things and doing uh, creative storytelling is, is how it came to be for me. Wow. Okay. So already right off the bat, I'm learning something very new um, about you. Um, um, I'm a big fan of film. And so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you um, who were some of your favorite French directors uh, when you were younger that kind of prompted that decision just out of curiosity. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, um, are you familiar with Luke Basin? Uh-huh. So I used to watch a lot of his films early on, like all the way back to Subway, um, to The Big Blue. And then uh, he was doing things like La Femme Nikita that got translated into an English version. Um, but yeah, so, you know, those types of films were interesting. Um, and then I think that like just studying some of the techniques of, you know, storytelling um, in a different language, um, was fascinating for me, especially as I was trying to work on the French language. Uh, so yeah, how about you, Jesse? How are some of your favorites? Well, I'm definitely a big Godard fan for sure. Um, oh yeah, for sure. When you think about <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like older films, yeah. Yeah, so I, I definitely yeah I go back to like Truffaut and and Truffaut Godard and Godard. yeah that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, that's amazing. I just, that's really cool that that was something that you were really interested in at a, at a young age. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just curious, like when you have this really kind of interesting mix of background in your education, what then um, prompted you to enter the agency world? Was that just like kind of where you felt like there was this intersection of your skill set, or how did that kind of decision come to pass? Yeah, you know, I found that it was uh, a creative environment. And when I was a senior uh, in college, I got an internship at an advertising agency called, um, it was then called Arnold Fortuna Lane outside in Boston. And strangely enough, uh, I worked on a couple of um, local accounts, uh, actually an Etonic and some like just local things. 
And I like the environment because it was fast paced and I was learning a lot. And it's like, you know, I think on the agency side, you know, I spent half of my career on the agency side, learning how to work hard, you know, really looking at the fundamentals of creative process. Um, and so that's where I, I landed. And when I moved back to Detroit, uh, I worked for another agency, um, which uh, became Leo Burnett, um, really focusing on automotive. So I worked on Cadillac, I worked on Pontiac, some other financial services. Um, but when you're from the Motor City, uh, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to end up working on cars. And, you know, I love cars. Uh, I grew up in Detroit. And so, um, you know, it was one of those things where working in an agency where I get to do big shoots, you know, um, you know, going to interesting locations and, um, you know, the rigs to, to shoot cars was always really, really cool and fun for me. No, I love that. I'm a big car guy myself, Tessa. So as you were in Detroit, I mean, and working with the agencies and working in the automotive industry, helping the automotive kind of brand themselves, is that where Volkswagen came in for you? Yes, yes. You know, it was really funny. Uh, when I started my career, it was really, um, you know, uh, national advertising, very traditional, like television, print, um, even like catalogs. And um, I was really interested in digital because there were these new services that were coming online. And um, I was like, you know, that seems like there's just a better way. And so I uh, was working with the GM clients and uh, one of my projects was to produce um, these catalogs. So it was beautifully produced heavy stock, um, really beautiful photography that would be inside dealerships. And um, I was really interested in innovating a new way of doing that, um, not only to save money in production, um, but, uh, you know, I'm first generation. Uh, and so, like, as I think about the consumer journey uh, going to buy a car, uh, I would go with my parents um, with English as a second language and watching them try and negotiate with dealers um, was pretty painful for me. And so I pitched to GM to create their first uh, websites for Cadillac and for Pontiac and rolled that out to become um, an online service for dealers um, so that consumers uh, could actually get the information online for the first time ever for GM and, um, and then actually negotiate online like with anonymous. So it's like, we didn't know if you were, um, you know, from a different country, they didn't know if you were a man or a woman. And it was like that lead process was like really interesting to me. And so that was my first innovation. And it was noticed by one of the clients at GM and she left GM and uh, went to Volkswagen. And Volkswagen was about a half hour up the street. Um, it's just north of the, of the city in Detroit. And so she recruited me uh, to leave the agency and join her at Volkswagen. 
And I left the agency after about seven years or so. And I was leading um, national advertising uh, for North America. Um, I was in charge of um, uh, the GTI, uh, the New Beetle, um, and uh, doing all of the work around all the different media channels. But I was still really interested in digital. And so um, she let me just kind of build the VW.com and dealer website program for Volkswagen the way that I had done for GM. And that's really how I got into um, digital innovation. I got to ask. So when yeah. you worked for Volkswagen, I'm sure you get this question all the time. Give time sure. like background. Did you have to drive a Volkswagen to work for Volkswagen? Um, yes. Well, you didn't <laughs> have to. <laughs> but, um, you know, being in Detroit and driving a foreign car, uh, you know, it's a thing, right? I mean, it's just like you have the three big domestics here. But um, as part of working for a car company, uh, you could, I mean, I got a new car um, like every six months to a year. Um at a certain executive level, you get that. And actually it's it's great because it gives you a reason to really understand the consumer experience. Um, so I drove everything. I drove everything from the, you know, the, the golfs all the way up to the, you know, the Tourigs to the Phaeton, you know, to the Jetta, to the wagons. I even had um, a camper van that I had as my company car because I wanted to know what that experience was like um, so that we could communicate and try and make it better and sell the value to it to consumers. So um, did I have to? No, but um, I love German engineering. Um, and uh, yeah, I took advantage of that. No, I love that. You definitely lived like the consumer to understand the lingo, which I love. So. Yeah, if um, you want to talk about things like torsional rigidity and like all that stuff, you know, how much torque off the GTI, oh, I'm, I'm old, you know, I'm, like I'm the VR6. manufacturing <laughs> fan too. Trust me. I, like I said, I'm a big car guy. So I think on another episode, we definitely have to talk about that kind of stuff. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'm, I'm kind of curious because I think, you know, it sounds like you were there to witness the birth of sort of digital um, integration into marketing and advertising at Volkswagen, yes. right? At this period of time. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And it sounded like you had this remarkable opportunity to like, just really like go and run with it. And I think based on my experiences working with Nike and kind of seeing the sort of birth of that um, happen with, you know, Jesse Stolick's teams and teams before that, it seems like it was probably a pretty small footprint. Can you kind of talk about just your role in, in the growth and the awareness that you were kind of championing within the company to kind of build that organization within a company the size of Volkswagen? Yeah, you know, it was, um, it was all pretty new. Um, and so um, pitching innovative ideas, which is something that was so uh, new to the company at that time. Um, I was really fortunate to have um, some good leaders at that time at VW. And uh, 
you know, the president gave me a lot of opportunity and also our, our board member from Germany was very progressive and, and loved innovation. And so um, I learned a lot about building the business case and showing the value of uh, testing new innovations. Um, for example, I was in charge of the, the launch of the new Beetle um, which was amazing, an amazing experience because of all the famous DDB uh, advertising um, back in the day. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that work. Absolutely. But to follow in that yeah. footstep, it was like, okay, yeah, I got to get this right. But um, beyond like the, the character and the personality and the shape of the new Beetle, um, you know, we were in this era where um, we could do things differently. Um, and there was a culture uh, to Volkswagen, which was very friendly. And so, um, you know, every year there's this big auto show called the North American Auto Show in Detroit. And um, I pitched to the board uh, in Germany that like for the first time, let's show it uh, live, um, the, the launch of the car live on the internet. And uh, that went great because more people could see it um, in real time that wasn't broadcast. And it kind of like was like, okay, well, this might have, um, you know, sparked some ideas of how we could do things differently. And so from there, I created things like, um, you know, VW radio. Um, I was working on a bunch of different New Beetle ads um, with different bands like Spiritualized and, you know, we were working with, um, you know, uh, Nick Drake on some of like the, the VW Cabrio spots and um, his foundation. And so people are always asking, well, what's the name of that song in that Volkswagen commercial? And so we used uh, Radio VW to tell the stories of which were the songs that we were thinking about as the advertising team and why we landed on the one that we did, um, putting together playlists, um, and that sparked the whole music partnership um, with VW. Um, and at that time, it was the, the time when the um, iPod was just launched. And so we were one of the first uh, automotive um, manufacturers to partner with Apple to have an integrated iPod um, into uh, our cars, because there's something about um, Volkswagen and Apple that the two brands had some synergy. And so um, that was pretty cool um, to work on as well. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah. That's amazing, because I, I love how you, seriously, it sounded like you were the pioneer for, for Volkswagen to really focus on the digital realm and, and social aspect of, of connecting with the consumer and kind of, you know, doing a lot of innovation. Um, and, and it sounded like that was kind of the path that you were paving for yourself. And, and so after Volkswagen, kind of the David and Goliath era came in for you. Um, and then, I mean, then Nike, but before Nike, what made you make the decision to say, okay, Volkswagen was great for almost a decade, it's time to move forward and see what else is out there. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, um, I'm really 
grateful for the opportunities that Volkswagen gave me to test all those things in digital innovation because it was because of that work um, that I got a, a phone call from Nike um, because uh, Stefan Olander um, had noticed my work and had wanted to speak to me. And that was my first connection um, with Nike. And at the time, um, you know, Ricky Engelberg was just, uh, and, and Jesse were just, you know, starting to, to work with Steph on building the digital practice. And uh, I wasn't sure that I was ready to go. Um, and the COO of, or the executive vice president of um, Audi, uh, at Volkswagen because of the same company, he took a job as COO of Kia Motors on the West Coast. And he asked me to come to the West Coast to help build uh, Kia's uh, digital practice. And I wasn't sure I wanted to go um, to work for Kia directly. So um, he asked me to consider joining their agency, which was David and Goliath. And so I was there as a partner. Um, and um, from that position as a managing partner at uh, David and Goliath, I helped build the digital branding practice for Kia Motors. Uh, I worked on Universal Studios. Uh, I worked on Global Bacardi. And was really able to expand the different categories that I worked on. And if I look back from then, you know, uh, it was like going back from an, um, back to the agency side, where the first time I was in the agency side, I was really about learning the fundamentals of creative process. Then I went to VW and it was really about honing in my brand skills, but also, um, you know, uh, being able to pioneer a lot of digital practices. And as I look at my experience at uh, David and Goliath, it was really about learning how to uh, run a small business. I'm doing a lot of the um, like new business pitches, uh, building out the team from the creative team to the diversity team for Hispanic marketing, um, all the strategy side. Uh, and so that to me was kind of a really important step. Um, in, I'm lucky because Stefan came back uh, to me while I was at David and Goliath and um, Nike offered to, to bring me up to Portland to interview again. And, um, you know, I think I spoke to Nike for three years um, until there was, um, they, they had really built up the digital practice and um, finally moved up there in 2008 uh, to take the, um, you know, the digital director uh, position on women's training. And uh, my desk was right next to Jesse's desk. Uh, and he sat next to me um, and he was working on football and I was working on training. We, we literally just talked last week and we're laughing about it. It was so awesome to reminisce. <laughs> So just so I'm clear, so like from the first um, contact with Stefan to basically when you agreed to move up there, that was a period of about three years? It's about three years. Wow. But you know, Stefan's a persistent guy. It's yeah. Hard to know that dude. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I, I just like, there's a lot of questions um, about just that transition from, you know, you know, uh, brand to agency to brand, but speaking mm -hmm. in terms of like the foundation of the digital organization within Volkswagen, when you left and then coming into Nike, um, were there any comparisons just in terms of the infrastructure and was one, you yes. know, kind of ahead of the other? And can you speak to the differences? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the the role that I had in Volkswagen for digital was really um, a regional role. It was North America, but North America was leading um, in the digital practice. So, you know, I had a small team. Um, I had a couple of different agencies. Um, strangely enough, our, our key agency was Arnold out of Boston, where I had my first internship. Wow. Um, they wow. actually... Uh, were awarded all of the Drivers Wanted campaign. Um, so that was great. But so we had um, Arnold in um, Boston. We had an agency called Palm out of Montreal, um, also very progressive with digital. We had an agency that we worked with um, called Cobalt out of Seattle that did all of our dealer website work. And it was a small central team that uh, with a lot of agency support that we grew to, you know, there must've been like about 16 of us here in Auburn Hills, Michigan in total. And then we had extensions, right? Um, one of the great opportunities that Volkswagen gave me though, was um, we had e-business leads in all of the different parts of VW. So it was like VW, Audi, parts and service, you know, um, like, because that was also a big business with um, accessories. Um, but then there was also the opportunity to uh, work with my counterparts um, in Europe and other countries. So because of the work that we were doing in digital in North America and this very small team that we had, um, I often got asked to go to Wolfsburg um, and, and work with that team and um, share the practices so they could build out the overall team for Audi, Bentley, Seat, Skoda. Um, and so I really think of the North America Volkswagen digital team. It was a small team that was kind of like a, um, kind of like a, a special SWAT team or an incubator for digital practices. Um, and while we were small, uh, what Wolfsburg was able to do is take those practices and build out um, similar teams across all of the brands for the Volkswagen Group. Um, yeah, so that uh, that's a little bit how the structure was um, at VW. And so uh, in comparison to Nike, um, when I went to Nike, I hired into the, the global group. Um, and so um, there were already leads for digital in North America and in EMEA and Asia Pacific. Um, in fact, uh, you know, when I had joined, you know, Kristen Bannister was in North America and Ricky Engelberg was in, you know, Asia Pacific. Um, and even Marvin Chow, you know, was still with the company. Now he's yeah. over at Google. Um, 
And um, so there was seemed to be like a lot more in place um, when I got to, to Nike. And um, at the time it was a lot more um, digital uh, storytelling. And it wasn't until, you know, I had been at the company for about six months that we really started to push more of the digital products and services. And I think that was the biggest difference. Um, you know, I think, uh, Jesse, you know, you know, one of my, um, what Heidi calls my legacy is the creation of um, Nike Training Club. Mm-hmm. And um, that project in itself, I think like that was my first assignment that I had from Nike to create a service that gave training products purpose. And, you know, knowing that most people would just kind of work out in running shoes. And, you know, I think the Nike Plus um, service had been running on web. Um, I was able to, you know, talk to, you know, Heidi and to Stefan and ultimately Trevor Edwards, who, you know, gave me a small budget to go out and do a proof of concept um, for, you know, what became Nike's first iPhone app. And we just had an anniversary because we actually launched Nike Training Club on January 9th, uh, 2009. And so I was thinking about it last week. Um, And at the time, you know, they didn't have the big keynotes like they do now. They had Macworld, you know. So uh, it popped up on my, you know, on my digital, my social feeds of like a memory uh, but, wow. you know, just the proof of uh, seeing uh, Nike Training Club and how it could grow um, really became an interest of Trevor and Stefan to push what eventually became digital sport and, you know, digital products and services. And being part of that experience, you know, with Kwamina. And, you know, Ricky and, you know, the crew over there um, was really an amazing experience itself, too. And and Volkswagen didn't have anything like that. We were um, in digital sport really looking at ways of serving the consumer in ways that Nike hadn't necessarily um, done in a digital way. I mean, we had done that with some of the early running for like running tracking devices, um, to measure progress, but, um, with everything from fuel band to, you know, um, you know, connect training to, you know, the move app, all of those things were really about looking at building out services for consumers that we could then use the data to then, um, build better products and experiences for them. And, um, you know, we didn't have that type of data uh, coming back to us at, at Volkswagen the way we did at Nike. And so I guess my question would be, if we're talking about, um, as we're talking about, you know, kind of the, the two companies and your experiences, it sounded like Volkswagen, they kind of, um, you were able to kind of pitch your ideas and innovation. You had a progressive leader. Um, you, you had a, a great support system to go out and do it. Um, almost in the same at Nike, but it felt like Nike, there were a lot more eyes on you guys from a digital perspective because of the Nike Plus, the, 
the Nike, you know, the digital aspect of the business. Cause I remember, you know, we always stated at Nike, you know, digital is our oxygen. Um, and, and, yeah. and I just would love to hear your perspective of like the support you had on both companies. And then also maybe like mm-hmm. how you felt um, the leadership was in both companies as well. Like what were, you know, great aspects of both. You know, I think that um, the one thing that I would say uh, was really that separates the experiences was like the leadership and just the culture of Nike um, and really listening to the consumer, um, I think was um, a big differentiator. And I think that like uh, Nike was able to move faster, right? I think that when you think of cars, you have big durable goods and we were trying to sell products, but the product life cycle was so long um, versus at Nike where when, you know, you know, uh, digital is oxygen. It was also like youth culture um, versus a portfolio of everything from, you know, our entry level car to our luxury car. Right. And so um, I think that we were, finding ways to serve the consumer with digital experiences and then actually listen through digital and um, data to continuously improve those experiences for them, um, if that makes sense. Um, But I think uh, both brands, um, I think my top brands, you know, like from a marketing and storytelling standpoint, like Volkswagen, Nike, Apple, I mean, there is um, definitely uh, a sense of serve the consumer, solve for them. And I think that um, being able to have progressive leaders that have a hunger for innovation, um, both at Volkswagen and at Nike, was critical in order to have the experiences that I had. Tessa, I'm curious, just like, you know, that's a, there must have been a tremendous amount of pressure on you and your teams at this point in time. Cause I'm just thinking back to that time and, you know, yeah. like the CLT meetings and we would create these presentations <laughs> that were completely CLT, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Completely focused around the digital business. And obviously once you got into like where the product, you know, where we created those shoes that had, you know, metrics tracking and stuff in them. I mean, <laughs> yes. yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the list goes on fuel band and everything. I mean, it was like the most important thing to the business at that time. And you were on the forefront of that. You're, you know, you're meeting with Trevor, who is, you know, the, you know, president of the brand. So can you talk just a little bit too, just in terms of like your career arc and your path and and how you felt about that amount of pressure just with you and your colleagues in in digital at that time? Yeah, you know, um, it was actually... Um, it was pressure, but it was really exciting. Um, you know, it felt like we were a startup within Nike, um, which um, Nike as an established brand, you know, had a clear mission. We knew our consumer. Um, and I think that there was a lot of um, excitement around the space. I think um, 
it was pressure because the space, when Nike leads, basically it's out in front and we were creating a market for a new way of serving, you know, consumers. And so if you think about the fuel ban, I think when we created the first fuel ban and a bunch of us were wearing the prototypes with like sleeves over like things over our arms to hide them so we could just like get all of the testing done. Um, the first time we went to CES, it was like, there was, you know, there was nobody doing it. Then we launched it the next year. There were so many copycats and so many uh, fuel bands and, you know, Kwamina's work was amazing, but it's like uh, when I think about the pace at which other companies were just really, you know, into developing the hardware for it. Uh, it was, um, it was cool to see that uh, we as Nike could actually create a market for risk-based tracking, right? And while we were doing things with TomTom and, you know, GPS watch and those types of things, you know, the fuel ban was, you know, something that uh, we were able to, you know, get people to think differently about movement uh, and all day movement. Um, and what I loved about it is that ultimately we stopped making the fuel ban, but it created this market where, you know, people started to, you know, uh, be more aware of, you know, their activity and, you know, data. And, you know, I think that the effects of that is still going, you know, now through different players in the market. Um, so it was a lot of pressure, but I felt like we were on the, on the cusp of, you know, just we were on the edge and leading, you know, a new space of innovation uh, for the company, but also, you know, in general. Uh, so it was a really exciting time. Um, and uh, the pressure of uh, making sure that what we were building um, was on mission uh, for the company and the categories, um, but ultimately move the needle the most for the consumer. And, and when you speak about... Um like the pressure, but it was exciting at the same time. Cause I feel like nothing phases you, Tessa. I feel like the way we're speaking to you, you're just not phased. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a lot of the, when we speak to our, um, a lot of people who, who are starting to listen to our podcast, they always want to know more about leadership. And I guess that's one of the topics that I'd love to ask you is um, the, the leadership at Nike, it sounded like it was pressure, exciting, but it was supportive. Um, what what was the one like or few things that you've learned at Nike that you're you're doing now as a leader as well to support your team? Yeah, you know, I think that is, you know, something that I actually think about a lot. Um, and, you know, you, you were at Nike at the same time. I think that um one of the incredible things about the Nike brand is that like you always feel like there's momentum and um, you know, because, you know, um, a lot of our storytelling was around sports or in training around progress, you know, it's easy, you know, to think about, um, you know, have like, it's easy to have doubts. Right. So for me around the leadership standpoint, it was, I would say one thing that I always remember is, um, you know, to stay curious, right? Um, because 
being in meetings where the leadership was asking me questions, some people might find it as like, oh, they're asking me questions like they were grilling me. But actually, it's, if you can shift your mindset to, okay, how do I help them understand why this is a great opportunity? Um, and so, you know, I try and think of that now um, around like uh, how to use curiosity and leadership, um, partner with listening, right? And like learning a lot. Um, and if you make curiosity a practice, it will help you find courage to push yourself, right? And um, I think that is one side of it. I think the other side of that for me is just prioritizing like personal growth along your journey and then, you know, reflecting often on, on how far you've come. And I say that because there was a thing at Nike for me where, you know, I worked on some of the smaller categories, right? So I worked in training, um, I worked on Nike ID, and there were always uh, category presentations that would inspire me like, wow, that's amazing. Um, but if I could just stay focused on the work that I was doing and the growth that I could, and the growth that I could make and the impact that I could make on my journey, and then look back at how far I had come, um, that in itself would keep me motivated. And so I think um, one of the things that uh, Phil had said at one point was, you know, always believe that your best work is ahead of you. And I always uh, think about that whenever I'm going through a change, you know, in a project or even in a, in a career position. Um, there was a time when I left Nike and I thought like, I don't know if I'll ever have another NTC, but then I thought of how, how Phil said, you know, always believe that your best work is ahead of you. And I found myself, you know, finding um, ways to, to continue to, to stretch myself. Awesome. I would love to um, hear about the decision to leave Nike and, and, and how that came about, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, you know, um, I had been at Nike, you know, for about uh, 10 years. Um, and then the brand was going through a lot of change. Um, and I, you know, at the time I was uh, working in training again, I was working with, you know, Mel Strong and Sharon, and there were a lot of things happening Um at the company around equality and diversity. And it was a lot, um, it was a lot. Um, but I think, um, I think I know Jesse probably knows, I don't know, John, if you know that I work uh, one week a month from Detroit. Um, I mentioned that, you know, I'm first generation as part of that. I um, come back to Detroit the last week of every month um, to, um, be with my parents and to take care of my mom. And uh, I had been on the, the West Coast um, for an extended period of time with Nike. And I decided to take some time to come back and have focused time with my family and be the one to help, you know, go to the doctor's appointments and, and reconnect with my family um, and just kind of reassess. I think that, you know, one of the things that you experience when you're at Nike is like you have so much passion and love for the brand that it really becomes part of your identity. 
And, um, you know, I wanted to just take a break from that and then reconnect with my family and then, you know, uh, go explore some other opportunities. And so that's what and, I did. And that, that's respect because I, I feel like that's very similar um, to me as well. Just FYI. I mean, so, um, <clears throat> and then with making the, the jump to um, leave Nike and then being able to now, um, you were part of uh, Visco as their chief marketing officer to now Discord. Um, do you see a lot of the similarities with Discord now that you had at your experiences at Volkswagen and, and Nike, kind of like that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit uh, and kind of the growth of the brand? Yes. You know, um, it's interesting. Like uh, when I left Nike, uh, I... I think I had been home for maybe like a month and uh, I got the call from a VC um, in um, the Bay Area and they wanted to speak to me uh, about one of their companies, which ended up being Visco. And, you know, Visco, um, when they offered me the CMO position, you know, I was super excited because, you know, working on experience design for Nike Plus, we used to look at um, the design of Visco because we loved how it was so clean. Um, and, you know, it was very, it was very much like um, very tastefully done um, with their creative and design aesthetic. Um, but when they offered me the job, I was like, no, I just got home and I've made a commitment to my family. So I accepted the role, but I, um, which is something that Nike probably, I don't know if they would have done, but um, Visco let me, complete my commitment to my family. And I stayed home with my mom for, you know, another uh, seven months um, and started at Visco after. And it was like the best time um, spent for me to be able to, to do that. But then when I started at Visco, um, you know, Visco was about, you know, I guess 200 people and it felt like a, a, a category at Nike. It was enough people where you, you kind of knew everybody um, and everybody was working towards the same goal, but it literally was only uh, digital service and product. And so things moved a lot faster. Um, there were less layers of approvals than at Nike, as you can imagine. Um, but, um, with that said, as a younger company, um, one of the things that I wanted to do when I got there was to really help them, you know, get closer to the consumer they were serving, um, doing some, you know, consumer insight work and then creating a three-year plan and a brand plan. Um, I rewrote their mission statement and their vision statement to really unify the company and helped put in place some really strong you know, brand practices to help them grow the brand. Um, and so um, it was a great experience. Um, I think one of the commonalities would be uh, I love digital services and I love creating digital communities. Um, and so being able to take what I did with NTC and, and use some of our learnings there to build a creator community um, was really interesting. Um, and it was really fun storytelling as well. 
I would say that uh, Discord um, is uh, is bigger uh, than than Visco, and um, it's younger, but at the same time, um, they have been experiencing some tremendous growth um, over the past year. I think we've you know doubled our monthly active users and tripled our year over year revenue. Um, part of it is the pandemic, but part of it, I think, is just um, the shift in consumer behavior around uh, human connection and how do you stay connected? Um, how do you create belonging and how do you find communities that you feel part of? And so um, it feels very different to Nike for me, particularly because I started at Discord um, but I have never yet been to the office because of the, the quarantine. I've never met my team in person. I have about 40 people on my marketing team and I've never met my manager who is the CEO. And so um, without the, the solid um, product experience that Discord um, offers, I don't think the, the work would be as seamless, but we literally work on our, communication platform every day so it makes it pretty seamless and um and interesting you know and i'm learning new things so it's been pretty pretty cool tessa you know like when you left nike you were in a senior director role and then subsequently moved into these chief marketing officer roles um can you speak a little bit just about this that leap and your experiences and just getting up to speed and kind of just figuring out on the fly, especially with discourse specifically, just given the circumstances and trying to, you know, forge a path for yourself, but also just the expectations of you in this role and, and how different it has been for you. Yeah, you know, um, I would say that, you know, when I was at Nike, you know, uh, working with some tremendous leaders, you know, like Mel Strong, um, you know, uh, like Nancy Montserrat, you know, even some of my peers, you know, like Kwamina. And um, I learned so much about having um, uh, responsibility, but also accountability um, for your leadership. And you know how it is at Nike. It's like, uh, they'll let you run with it. Um, if you have a good idea, you can run with it and, and prove that it can work. Um, and so I didn't feel limited um, in uh, my own learning around how to drive, you know, our category business or how to, you know, lead cross-functional teams. Um, I had a lot of exposure to that um, and some of the the best teams, um, you know, and working with people like Heidi O'Neill and learning from her. Um, and so when I went from Nike, uh, as a senior director to a CMO of a smaller company, um, I felt, uh, I felt very excited. Uh, but I also know that some of the tech focused, companies that I had been speaking to, um, you know, they don't have a marketing offense 
the way that it was run at Nike. Mm -hmm. And so bringing the learnings of how to set those things up um, to Visco or to Discord, you know, those practices are new. And so um, it's incredible to, you know, put into practice the things that you have been doing, you know, for 10 years at a big company like Nike um, and taking it to a smaller company and continuously like trying to improve on that process given the smaller team or or a different product um so it was a, a different um title but i feel like the work um has been just as challenging and um and rewarding no i love that and and for our younger generation um you know we always ask great leaders like yourself if uh what advice could you give these younger generational kids? Um, I say kids because I feel like we're we're, we're getting there at yeah. that age. But, um, but, but like, you know, they want to be a part of, let's say, a startup or a big brand like Nike. Um, what kind of advice could you give them um, to kind of really stand out, be able to kind of tell their own brand journey um, to really get to where they'd like to be? Yeah. You know, I think like um, there are two parts that I would say. And I think that um, as a teenager where you have the world in front of you, but you also are surrounded by different, you know, um, pressures, maybe even um, other talented people, uh, I would say, you know, find the confidence in yourself um, to measure your success by your personal growth. And I think we spoke about that a little while ago, but, you know, I really believe that comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, and if you compare yourself to other people, there's always going to be other people that are doing things um, that could be inspiring or it could shake your confidence. But um, if you can find, you know, that confidence in yourself and believe in yourself, um, bet on yourself, I think you'll be, you know, uh, a better manager, a better marketer, uh, a better mentor or creator, and probably a, a happier individual. Um, and I'd also say uh, one of the things that I think about a lot, um, you know, you know, being raised in an immigrant family and, you know, growing up in Detroit has a lot to do uh, with how I navigate through life. And so, you know, everybody has a story and you have to trust your story and the things that you've learned along the way. And, and you know, sometimes it might take courage, you know, and others, you know, may doubt you along the way, whether you're trying something new or you feel like you're out of place. Um, but, you know, sometimes you can look around and, and find people that are willing to help. And I think that's undervalued a lot. A lot of times people try and, you know, do things on their own, but, you know, expand your tribe, um, stay grounded. Um, and, you know, like I said, you know, measure yourself by your personal growth and it will continue to motivate you to move forward. Love that. Wow. <laughs> that is so good, Tessa. Um, so the question that John asked you and the one I'm about to ask you is one that we ask all of our guests. And um, 
is which is you know if you could go back and give your younger self some advice at any stage along your you know at your college journey or your career path um what advice would you give to yourself if you could go back and and do that you know it's really important um that you also have a, a sense of you know your find a personal mission um, find something that, you know, drives you and your purpose. I think that that's really important because, you know, uh, for me, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to, you know, um, you know, join Discord was, you know, I spent a lot of time in 2020 really doing a lot of, you know, self-reflection and thinking about, you know, um, if I were to ever take time when, you know, we have the pandemic, we had a movement with Black Lives Matters, uh, all of that moving around, it was like trying to make sure that you could, um, you know, find a way to have self-reflection, look inward and stay true to yourself because there's a lot of things that were happening in 2020. And for me, I was like, how do I show up every day as my best self? And I think it's easy to put limitations uh, on your life um, and your purpose by thinking about like, oh, I shouldn't do that or I can't do that. But if I were to talk to my younger self, I would tell her to focus on what you should do and what you will do. Um, it didn't really all come together for me uh, until I was able to really name it and claim it and say like, okay, you know, working in digital and, you know, working on building communities, uh, what that does for me is it gives me the ability to to drive my personal personal mission, which is to focus on empowering like the next generation uh, to build communities that can move the world forward. Um, and you know, I think that once you can really think about what your purpose is, there'll be literal, you know, in the world that you can that can stop you from going after it. Um, so I would say, you know, um, hopefully that would be helpful to her. Uh, that's powerful. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so good, man. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, thank you so much for your time, um, giving us the, the, the opportunity to listen about your journey, but in addition to some of your advice you can give to us as well as others listening to this. Um, it's, very powerful, to be honest, and we are super appreciative once again. Yeah, thank you, Tessa. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both, you know, John and Jesse. I think, you know, this series of podcasts, um, you know, it taps into what you guys do best. Um, and the, the fact that you can share, you know, what you do as part of your, you know, creative craft. Um, I know that it will be helpful to a lot of people. Um, and I look forward to catching uh, some of the future Absolutely. shows that you continue to do. Thank you awesome. so much. Thank you. Well, we're, 
we're really excited for you and for discord and we're definitely just keeping tabs on everything that you're a part of and we just wish you all the best Absolutely. for everything that you're yes. involved in thank you tessa right. thanks tessa thank you thanks guys bye okay bye bye